Hey guys, my name is Chris Bell, lead pastor at Three Circle Church, and I want to welcome you to another week of what we're calling the Journeys Series. All summer long here at Three Circle Church, we are taking a journey. And what we have found is, is life is like one long journey that's full of smaller journeys. And we see that in the Bible as well. When you look in the Bible, you see that people took trips just like you and I do today. Isn't it so Americana to get in the RV, to get in the car, to, to jump on a plane and go somewhere and have an experience? Well, that's what we're looking at in the Bible. And what we see is that God had God-designed trips with God-designed lessons for people in the Bible. We've been looking at this and, and walking through the Scriptures. And in fact, by the end of the summer, we're going to go from Genesis all the way to Revelation in the Bible. Well, up until this point, all of our journeys have been in the Old Testament. But this week, we flip over to the New Testament. And absolutely, you may have guessed it already, we're going to be talking about Jesus uh, in this first part of the journey series that's going to step into the New Testament. Now, one of the main pivotal events in the life of Christ is when He was baptized. The Bible tells us that Jesus uh, went to John the Baptist, who was His cousin, and that publicly Jesus was baptized. And, and Jesus modeled so many things for us. And baptism was one of those things. And I would say that if you are a Christian and you've never been baptized, you are missing out on a major part of your initial obedience to God once you're saved. So Jesus modeled for us being baptized, immersed in the water. John the Baptist baptized him, but something amazing happened when Jesus was baptized. The Bible says a dove descended from heaven and a voice from heaven like thunder. The people around confused it with thunder. And, and that voice said about Jesus and to Jesus and for everyone else to hear, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So right there, as Jesus was baptized, the father affirmed the son and the Holy Spirit uh, basically blessed the whole occasion with his presence. And what we see at the baptism of Jesus is one of the great things we believe as a church. The, the Trinity, the triune nature of our God, Father, Son, and Spirit. It's a beautiful picture. But what happened next? What happened after Jesus was publicly affirmed by His Father, after He's baptized, after He showed this initial obedience, the Bible tells us something else happened. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a 40-day journey that Jesus took. And this journey is dripping with symbolism all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We're going to see that Jesus was able to do in 40 days what the first humans couldn't do in the Garden of Eden, what the people of God could not do in the Exodus, and frankly, what you and I, just we just cannot do it ourselves today in our modern times. We all need Jesus. Adam and Eve needed Jesus. The people in the, uh, in the desert, in Sinai, in the Exodus, they needed Jesus. You and I need Jesus. What we're going to see is Jesus did in those 40 days, uh, in this journey we're going to look at today, something that no one else could do. We're going to look at when Jesus was tempted in the desert. We're going to see how He overcame. And we're going to see how uh, He stayed connected to His Father, stayed under submission to the Spirit, and how He modeled for us living a victorious life. So today, let's go to the desert with Jesus. 40 days, 40 nights. Let's see how He did it and so that we can learn from Him. This, my friends, is a God-designed trip with a huge God-designed lesson. Welcome to the Journey Series.
So I don't know about you guys, but when I travel, one of the things I like to do, especially in summertime, is I like to go fishing. My wife and I have, and, and friends have been fly fishing out west. Uh, my kids and I like to fish here uh, where we are on the Gulf Coast. We love intercoastal fishing, so we like to go fishing for redfish and speckled trout and this really cool fish we have in our area in Mobile Bay and here in our rivers and uh, our brackish water, and it's called a sheephead. And this is a cool fish that literally has like tiger stripes on his side, but when you open his mouth, he's, he's a hilarious looking fish. It's a hilarious looking fish. It literally looks like a sheep. It's got big teeth. And anyway, it's a cool fish. And we love to fish. My little girl in particular, uh, out of all my family members, she loves to fish. And one thing that I learned growing up fishing on rivers and bays that, that my grandfather and my dad taught me is, is I learned how to choose the right bait, the, the right lure, if you will. And isn't it interesting that when we go fishing, we call the things we throw out there for fish to bite, we call it a lure because that's what it does. It lures in the fish. And one thing we know about fishing is that you have to know the fish you're going after. You have to know what they like to eat. When we go out west fly fishing, literally the bait you need to use changes almost on a weekly basis according to what kind of bugs are hatching in the area at that time. So every time we went out west to fly fish, we would go to the local fly shops and we would ask them, hey, what are they biting right now? And they would say, hey, this certain type of uh, uh, mosquito right now or this certain type of fly is hatching and they're all over the water, that's what you need. And so what we do, even even here in, in, in the coastal area where we fish for certain things, a lot of our fish here love live shrimp because that's what they feed on. That's what, watch this, that's what their biological appetite is hungry for. And so that's what we throw out there to lure them. Well, guess what? What we find out in the Bible is that we have a spiritual enemy, and we've already talked about that a lot in the Journey series. But today, we're not just going to learn that we have the presence of a very real spiritual enemy. The Bible calls him Satan. But what we also are going to see today is that he has a certain method. He has a way he does things. And I'll be honest with you, Satan is like a really good fisherman, okay? Because the Bible tells us that our spiritual enemy has studied us very, very well. Even in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, you will see that Satan knew exactly how to lure humanity. He's a really good fisherman. And what we're going to find is that the Bible, you may not know this, the Bible actually opens up Satan's tackle box and shows you his lures, shows you his baits. Just like the largemouth bass in our area love certain things, like a, like a broken back minnow that's coming through the water and it looks injured. Man, it's really hard for a bass to not bite that. Just like a live shrimp wiggling on a hook underwater makes a speckled trout want to just take it down. Satan has learned what we love, what we crave. And the Bible is actually going to tell us in the New Testament what Satan was using against Adam and Eve in the garden, what Satan used out in the desert against the people of God in the book of Exodus, and what Satan used against Jesus in the desert. When Jesus was vulnerable, you're going to see that, that Satan used the same tackle box. And the reason he doesn't change the bait is because humanity keeps biting. So what is it that Satan uses to get us. What is he trying to lure us with? What's the bait so that we know about it? Well, if you have your Bibles or your devices, go to the book of 1 John with me. 1 John chapter 2 is an incredible place in the Bible. And it says this, and again, this is awesome that God pulls back the curtain and opens up that tackle box for us. And here's what it says. 
Verse 15, first of all, it's a command. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now let's just pause right there. What does it mean when it says world? Because there's, is the Bible talking about like the earth here with trees and water and fish like we were talking about? No, no, no. There's, there's different usages for the word world, different definitions. And when the Bible says here, do not love the world, it's, it's a specific word in the Greek language and it's the word cosmos. And what does cosmos mean? This word cosmos means a system or a way of doing things. And, and you either buy into that system or not. And this is telling you that Satan, our spiritual enemy, has a cosmos, if you will. It's called the world. It's a system that he has set up. And it's a system that literally preys on humanity's built-in desires and built-in hungers and built-in passions. We're going to see that. That's what he went after Adam and Eve with, the Israelites with. Jesus in the desert is what He's coming at you with every day, at, at your family, at your kids. As a pastor, I have to remember, this is the playbook of Satan for our congregation. And the Bible tells you right out of the gate, you cannot love this system, this world system. Do not love it because it's impossible for you to love God and love this system. And what loving the system means is buying into it submitting to Satan's world system, the way Satan does things. And then verse 16 is very good stuff because the tackle box opens up. So what is the world? If Satan has a system, what does his system look like? Here it is, verse 16. For all that is in the world, that tells you this is it. If you boil down Satan's playbook, Satan's tackle box, here it is. It's the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life or pride in possessions. This is not from the Father. It is from the cosmos, the world. And look at verse 17. This is good news. And the world's passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now this is really incredible stuff for us to learn on our journey series today. Like God has already put in the word for us modern believers. We can look at this and go, oh, on our journeys, whether we're going to uh, Colorado uh, or whether we're going to the beach, whether we're going to the Smoky Mountains or whether we're going to the Northeast, wherever we're going, we can know that Satan's coming after us and our enemy is going to use that bait and lure structure against us. And the Bible tells us that we have to stop loving the world. Well, what happened with Adam and Eve, or what happened with the Israelites in the Exodus, is unfortunately they had a momentary lapse, maybe sometimes really long momentary lapses, in their love for God, and they temporarily began to love the world. They began to buy into this system. And what we're going to see is Jesus was tempted to do the same thing. So... Let's now go to the desert. Let's go where Jesus Himself dealt with this very tackle box. And He alone is the only one ever to be tempted in every way from that same box. And He didn't bite once. And there's some things we can learn from our great Savior, our great Jesus. We can learn how we too can overcome against our enemy. So as we prepare to look at at our Lord and Savior Jesus in His journey. And we're going to look at an episode because Jesus had a 33-year journey on this earth as the God-man, fully God, fully human. But what we find here is 
an episode, if you will, a 40-day episode, a small journey inside a 33-year bigger journey. And what we're going to see is that Jesus was tempted. He was not tempted by His Father. He was tempted by Satan, our enemy. He was tested by His Father. And that's a huge thing that we teach here at Three Circle Church often, just to remind us. The Bible tells us God does not tempt us. He does not do that. And, and so you need to understand God did not tempt Jesus. His Father was not wanting Him to fail. It was a test. Uh, it was a test for Him to trust His Father. And it was also a way for Jesus to model for us, for Jesus to be able to fully, fully relate to us as humans. Because if He's fully human, He's going through the entire human experience. And the Bible actually tells us in the book of Hebrews, this, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Let's take a look uh, at what the Bible says in Hebrews 4, 14 and 15. It says, Since then we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who has passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. And here's why, here's why the writer of Hebrews thinks we can hold fast to all that we believe. Here's one of the reasons, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16 is huge. Let us then, because of all that, let us then, uh, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Now that is really good news because we're about to look at what the writer of Hebrews was talking about. The writer of Hebrews says Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I are. In other words, He has walked in our shoes. The difference in Jesus and Adam and Eve in the garden, Jesus and the Israelites in Exodus, Jesus and you and I today is that none of us have been able to withstand completely the bait in the tackle box of Satan. But Jesus did. Jesus walked down our road and He didn't bite and He didn't fail. And we're going to look at that now. We're going to look at just where Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. And He didn't sin. He never fell. But now, the Bible does not give us this, this information just to show us how great Jesus is, and it certainly does. But it also is supposed to impact the way we relate to Jesus. Jesus is our high priest, meaning He represents us before God. And this is unbelievable good news. The Bible says that since we have a high priest that fully can relate to us, that should impact how we relate to Him. The Bible tells us in verse 16 that because of this, we should confidently go to Him. We should confidently now, not in shame, not in fear, confidently go to our Heavenly Father for help, for grace, and for mercy, all because of what we are about to look at. All because Jesus has been in our shoes. So, with all that in mind, with all that glorious information in mind, let's now go to the desert and let's see how Jesus overcame. All right, so now we're going to go in our Bibles, and if you have your Bibles or your devices, you can go to Matthew, the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to go to chapter 4. Now remember, we're going to pick up the story here right after Jesus was baptized. So Jesus has just been publicly obedient to His Father in baptism and models that for you and I. Remember, everything Jesus did is modeling it for us. 
so we should be baptized. And then Jesus, uh, after being fully affirmed by His Father, fully affirmed by the Holy Spirit, we see the Trinity in action. Now we see another beautiful thing in Scripture. Let's go to Matthew 4, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led. Jesus was led? Jesus is the King of kings. Jesus is fully God, and yet He is submitting to leadership. It says He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, He was hungry. Now let's just stop and look at those first two verses. And the first thing we see is an amazing thing about the Trinity. And it's this, even though the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are totally equals, there, there's, there's not one less God than the other. That would be what we would call heresy. That would be wrong and dangerous beliefs. No, we believe in a triune God with the Father being fully God, the Son being fully God, and the Spirit being fully God. So, so what's going on here? Well, submission, watch this, does not mean inferiority. And that's something that we have a hard time with because the word submission is all throughout the New Testament in a lot of different applications. Jesus is modeling for us here that He can be equal to the Father and the Spirit and submit to their leadership. And one thing that we like to say about the beautiful fellowship of the triune God is that there is mutual submission there. Did you know the New Testament calls us as Christians to submit to one another? And a lot of people go, oh, we don't like that. We're not, we're not less than someone else. We're not inferior. Well, that's not what the Bible is saying. Jesus modeled for us here. Jesus was willing while He was on the earth to submit to the leadership of the Spirit and the will of His Father. So the Bible says here the Holy Spirit led Jesus. But another thing you need to understand is the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. And you need to understand this. Jesus is not only modeling for you and I obedience to the Spirit. And by the way, how does the Spirit lead us primarily? If we are to obey the Spirit the way Jesus did, how does the Spirit lead us primarily? Through this thing I'm holding in my hand. He does it through the, the Word of God. Did you know the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit illuminates the Scriptures for us? He leads us as Christians and guides us into all truth. That, that's, he's, he's the one lighting up the Scripture, helping us understand so that we can obey. So you need to understand the Holy Spirit leads Christians primarily by the Word of God. Not the only way, but the primary way. And so in this regard, we are to submit as well. The way Jesus was led by the Spirit, you and I should be led by the Spirit. And again, again, it's not mysterious. It's not weird voices coming to you in the middle of the night. It is primarily you simply reading and understanding the Word of God and obeying it. That is what the Spirit-led life... Watch this. The Spirit-led life is the Scripture led life. That's what we would say today. So we see this right out of the gate. And Jesus, don't miss this in verse 2, will spend 40 days and 40 nights without food. He is starving. So on purpose, God allows Jesus, the Father allows His Son to get weak. Jesus is physically weak, meaning He is vulnerable. And another thing we learn here when we look at the next verse, verse 3, is that when we are weak, Satan comes in for the attack. And that's exactly what's going to happen to Jesus now. So we've seen that Jesus is being led by the Spirit. We should be as well. We see that oftentimes now when we get weak, Satan will attack. Jesus is showing us all of this. And now we get to see how Jesus handles the tackle box of Satan. Here we go. 
All right, so let's look at Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. It says this, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now this is important for us to understand. The first thing I want you to see here is that Satan goes right at Jesus with one of his big baits that he uses for us. Remember, it's the, it's the lust of the eyes, it's the lust of the flesh, it's the pride of life. And the first thing he says here to Jesus is, is he's going after the, the hunger, the lust of the flesh. That's what he's going after here. It's the same baits that we were warned about in 1 John. It's the same thing that the people of Exodus... I want you to see how this works. The first thing Satan did to humanity with Adam and Eve is tempt them with something to eat that was forbidden. And, and he did, does it with the people of God in the Exodus. They, they're hungry and thirsty. They're, they begin to grumble against God. So Adam and Eve failed the test. And the people of the Exodus failed this part of the test. They couldn't get over the lust of the flesh, what their bodies wanted, what their needs were. Well, Jesus has those same hungers. He's hungry too. And yet Jesus overcomes. And instead of biting on the bait, Jesus runs to the Word. Another thing I want you to see here, a feature of how Jesus did combat with Satan is Jesus went to the Word. He's modeling that for us. Jesus is the living Word of God, right? But Jesus says these words, It is written. You and I have that at our disposal. Now, if you don't spend time on the Word of God, it's very hard for you to say, It is written, if you don't know very much about what is written. So this again, just raises the value of you and I being people of the Word. When Jesus was at His weakest, and when Jesus was at His most vulnerable, and when Jesus was being tempted and attacked by Satan, when Jesus can see the bait, the lure of the enemy, so easy to bite it. Adam and Eve did. The people of God in the Exodus did. You and I do. But Jesus did not. And what was His secret weapon? Jesus says, it is Written And what did he do? He quotes the Old Testament. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So one thing Jesus does is he runs back to truth. When Satan comes at us with lies, we must answer him with truth. Not our own truth, by the way. Notice Jesus does not play the game that our modern society does where people say, you need to know your truth. You, you have a version of truth and the next person has their own version of truth. Well, that's not what the Bible says. Jesus did not say, oh, I've got my truth here and Satan, you're coming at my truth. No, He says, it is written. Jesus is showing us that there is, there is a foundation, there is a, a truth that we can stand on that's outside of us. It's not some internal thing that we have. It's something that we can grab onto and Jesus grabs onto it. And the scripture He chose is beautiful. It's a reminder that when we are at our physically hungriest place, we can still depend on God to fully satisfy us. Now that is important for us to understand because Jesus is being tempted in His humanity here by Satan to only live in the physical, to only need to fulfill the physical. But Jesus is reminding the enemy himself and us here that we are not just physical beings, we are spiritual beings. And while Jesus indeed was at His very lowest point physically here, He was spiritually strong. And He is reminding us that we, even when everything around us has fallen apart, 
The enemy can't touch what God has done for you. And that is a refuge you can run into. Did you know that the Bible says that God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble? Listen, when you're being attacked by the enemy and the bait is right there and everything in you wants to bite the bait, run to the Word, the truth, and run to your Heavenly Father like He is your refuge because He is. Now, let's, to, let's take a look at the next bait Satan threw at Jesus. All right, let's take a look at the next bait, the next lure sitting in the tackle box of our enemy. Uh, he definitely threw it at Jesus. Verse 5 of chapter 4, Matthew says this, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Verse 7, But Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord God to the test. Now this is very important for us to see, to understand today. Because again, we see parallels. This is the same bait that's been thrown at humanity and is still being thrown at you and I. And this would be what we would call that temptation that we read in 1 John, the pride of life or pride in possessions or pride in who we are. Okay, It's, it's very, very tempting. Now this happened to Adam and Eve. Jesus is being tempted to basically test God. If, if He's really the Son of God, then prove it. And, and make your father, test him and, and force your father to do something that he has clearly said that, that he's not going to do right now, right? So, so it basically, Jesus does not bite that bait. <clears throat> Again, Jesus goes to the Word and, and He quotes Scripture and He says, we should not put the Lord our God to the test. That's Scripture. Well, in, in, in Genesis, we see that Adam and Eve were tempted in the same way. The Bible tells us that as the enemy, the same enemy used the same bait on Adam and Eve, they began to see that the tree, or they began to think that if they ate of the tree, they'd be wise like God. Again, pride of life. We want to prove that we are His equal. We want to be like Him. We want to rebel against Him. And they bit the bait. In the book of Exodus, they are warned over and over again to not test the Lord. To not test the Lord your God. And you and I are going to be put to the same test. We're going to deal with the same thing to, to rise up, to have our version of truth, to rise up against God, to think that somehow our way is like His. The Bible warns us that, that the way of man is right in his own eyes. And you and I can be that way. We can be prideful. And this is a prideful thing. And what Satan is doing is tempting Jesus with pride in his identity, pride in who he is. And, and you and I can be tempted in the same way. And you know, the Bible says that God resists the proud. And so this pride thing brought Adam and Eve down. It brought down the people in the book of Exodus that brings down people all the time. And none of us will come out of this unscathed. None of us are going to be able to withstand totally because Jesus alone could do that. But we see here that Jesus teaches us how. Run to the Word. When Satan tempts you with lies, we run to the truth. And again, Jesus, because of His dependence on the Word, because of His submission to the leadership of the Spirit, because of His submission to the will of His Father, He withstands the enemy again. And now let's look at the final and the third one. And let's see how Jesus was tempted exactly the way First John warns us that He will be, exactly the way Adam and Eve, the people in the Exodus, exactly like we are. Our high priest went through what you and I go through. Let's look at bait and lure number three. All right, so here we go. Jesus is in the desert. He's starving to death, man. 
He hasn't had anything to eat for 40 days and 40 nights, and yet we see him doing combat with the enemy. And what we see is he's, he's literally quoting Scripture to the devil. But what I don't want you to miss is that Satan's quoting Scripture too. So you need to understand that your enemy knows the Bible too. He just doesn't believe in it. He doesn't, he doesn't honor the God of the Bible, but Jesus does. And what we are seeing here is that what 1 John warned us about, that tackle box, those three main things, we're seeing that that's, that's what Satan used against Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It's what he used against the Israelites in the desert. It's what he is using against Jesus. It's what he'll use against you. Let's look at the final one of verse 8. It says, again, third time, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. In other words, he's now coming to the lust of the eyes. Not just what Jesus wants but now what Jesus can see. And Satan puts things in front of his eyes, and he did that for Adam and Eve with the fruit and tree. He did that in the Exodus. He does that for you and I in all sorts of different ways. He takes him to this place, and he said to Jesus, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Of course, the final thing would be to get Jesus to worship him. Verse 10, then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written again. It sounds like maybe Jesus is just going to go off on the devil now, but he doesn't. He tells him to be gone and then again quotes the Scripture. He again anchors his life in the Word of God. And he says, For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Verse 11, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now in this last and final one, Jesus does combat against the lure of the lust of the eyes that First John warned us about, what we see. And, and Jesus Himself said the eyes are like the gateway into our souls. Uh, what we can see. And God's given us this powerful thing called vision. And what you need to understand is Satan will use all of the beautiful things God has given us as temptations for us to abuse. And so He did it with Adam and Eve. He said, look at this tree. Look at this fruit. And He does it in the book of Exodus with the people of God. Over and over again throughout Scripture, He does these things. And with Jesus, he, it's the same playbook. Satan has the same playbook. And the reason he keeps using these baits is because humanity keeps biting them. But there was one human that came that did not bite, and it's Jesus. Now there's some things we learn from Jesus today. He overcame. He was very weak. Jesus can, could get hungry just like us. You need to understand Jesus was fully God, fully human. Uh, he was on equal ground with the Father and the Spirit. And yet, He was also fully human and He's tempted in every way that you and I are. Don't forget that. But the way in which Jesus did combat is important for us. Not just that He did combat against Satan. Not just that He withstood, but how did He do it? And I'm telling you, the importance of your life and mine as Christians in the Word of God, interacting with the Word, being people of the Word, being people who understand and know the Word and love the Word, and watch this, and submit to it. Now that is something we learn from Jesus today because that's the secret, my friends, to overcoming. Many of you with us right now, joining us, wherever you are, in a boat, on a porch, on a vacation, I don't know where you're watching from and joining us from, but I bet you maybe right now have a bait hanging out of your mouth because you, you bit it. Some of you, one of these different issues in your life that we're warned about in 1 John, some of you are falling prey to the enemy. You just keep biting the bait. Satan puts things in front of your eyes and you bite. Our culture does that the same way it did to Jesus. Satan says, look at all this stuff. You can have it. He does it for us too. Listen, we live in a culture that's so materialistic. 
It's so what we want. Show us. We see it with advertising and marketing and we bite and we bite and we bite and we lust. And then there's this idea, we as people, we are prideful. We are innately prideful. And we have to fight that because we become pride. We, we find ways to raise ourselves up. And the Bible says that if we'll humble ourselves, if we'll humble ourselves, that He will give us strength and that we can walk in fellowship with Him. This is very important for us to understand. And then look, we all have these natural things that God put in us, natural hungers, natural things that become very unnatural if they do not stay underneath the submission to God. Jesus was hungry just like you and I get hungry. But it's not just our physical needs that can get hungry. The Bible's clear that our souls can get thirsty and hungry as well. And Jesus Himself said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to Me and drink, because he alone can quench the deepest part of your soul. And listen to me, many of you are hungry and thirsty today, like Jesus was in the desert. And if you don't let Jesus feed you and give you uh, the, the liquid, if you will, the nourishment and the quenching of your thirst that only He can give. If you don't do that, you're going to find the wrong place to try to do that. Adam and Eve did it, and it destroyed them. Exodus did it same. We need to understand that we have a place that we can go for those things that, that Satan tries to tempt us by, by, by causing us to, to go after the lust of the flesh. So these three things are in the playbook of Satan. And He'll come after you. But let me remind you again. Let's go back. And let me remind you of a couple things. First of all, at the end of those verses we read in 1 John about the tackle box of Satan, it says this. It says, And the things of the world, the cosmos, remember, the tackle box of Satan is the cosmos, the world. The things of this world are passing away, it says. Meaning that Satan's bait box is not always going to exist. It's going to be utterly destroyed in the end. And... Those of us who don't submit to it, but instead love God, instead of buying into Satan's system, we buy into God's way and God's system. We abide forever. That's the promise of the Scriptures. But there's also this good news. We read it in Hebrews about Jesus. Our high priest understands us. He's been where we are. He's felt what we feel. He's been tempted by what we're tempted by. And he overcame... And because of the gospel, don't forget, the gospel says that because of what Jesus did for us, we, if we believe upon Him, we get credit for what He has done. Now you and I are going to, at different times in our lives, we're going to fall for all three of those baits. I have, and I know you have too. But here's the glorious gospel of Jesus. Jesus, our high priest, went into the same waters we go into every day, was tempted in the same way and didn't bite. And when we trust in Him, we get credit for His perfect record. But not just credit for His perfect record in our standing before God. We also get strength and mercy and grace. Isn't that what Hebrews said? We get mercy and grace every day in our own walk. And we can walk in daily victory. We too can withstand the temptations of the enemy in this world if we submit to the Scriptures like Jesus did. And if we run to our Father like Jesus did. We can do that. Now, at the end of every trip, you got to unpack. So let's take a moment now and let's unpack today's 40-day journey with Jesus.
All right, I think there's three big things that we can unpack. There was a lot there, but let's, let's, let's say there's three big items. And I think the first one that we need to understand is this. Our spiritual enemy uses a very predictable tackle box to tempt us and to destroy us. And it's there in 1 John, so you need to know that. Satan uses the same baits over and over again. The lust of the eyes, the pride of life or pride of possessions, and the lust of the flesh. And everything we deal with boils down to that. It's, it's basically the system of this world. So we need to know that. Our enemy's using the same stuff. He used it on people all throughout the Bible. He even used it on Jesus. The second thing that I think is huge today is the importance, okay, the importance of our life in the Word. Listen, people who follow God must learn to be people of the Word of God. Jesus, all three times He was tempted by Satan, ran to the Word, and He stood on truth, and He said, it is written. I can't tell you how important your life in the Word of God is. And we need to do the same thing. We need to run to the Word. But the third thing I want to unpack for you real quick is this. When we bite the wrong bait, and we do, and we will, we have grace. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, our high priest Jesus understands us. He's been there, and He withstood for us. He did what we could not do. He did what Adam and Eve couldn't do. He did what the Israelites couldn't do. And He did what you and I can never do perfectly like He did. He withstood the onslaught from Satan. Gives us credit for it through the gospel. It's a beautiful thing. So today, if you, like me, have a propensity to bite the wrong bait, run to Jesus because our high priest is there to help us. Our high priest will give us mercy and grace when we fail. So today, I hope you've enjoyed this 40-day journey with Jesus. And I hope that as you live your life, you will now recognize the movements and the onslaught and the attacks of your enemy. I hope you'll now see that it's probably more simple than you thought it was. You'll recognize when it's coming at you. I hope that you'll dive into the Word of God more than ever and be consistent in the Scriptures because that's where the victory lies. And I hope that today you will not walk in shame and guilt when you fail, but instead you'll run to your high priest who loves you and has already won the battle on your behalf. Thanks for joining us today for the Journeys series.